Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Thinking Theologically, the podcast that shows you how and why you should think through things theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined, as always, by our resident theologian in training, Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? I am busy and tired, but I think that's a given for this time of year in church work, but excited to record. This is our 20th episode. Nice. Which is kind of exciting. That's a lot of talking that we've both done together. I'm surprised people have stayed with us for 20 episodes. And even gained some. That is... uh, So crazy. That's what, if we do it every other week, that's 40 weeks. That's not bad at all. Not bad at all. And it's getting more fun. Almost a year. We've got some, we've got plenty of things we want to talk about. So I don't, I don't see this. Uh, I don't see this dying anytime soon. We're just going to keep. I've got a, just a fun fact. I may have mentioned this on a previous episode, but I've got a list of possible topics to discuss that I just keep adding to. Yeah. Um, and right now I've got 37 items on the list. <laughs> And two of them have multiple parts to them. So uh, there you go. Yeah, there we go. This thing, this train's going to keep rolling for a while, uh, as long as people are listening. Even if you're not listening, we'll probably still keep this going. Uh, but we do appreciate those that are tuning in and sharing it with others, getting others involved in this thing uh, to make sure that it, it keeps on going. Our subject today actually deals with how to keep things going, specifically the church, reviving the dying church you may have seen there uh, in the title. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about uh, church growth, a little bit about a book that Spencer has read here recently that's not about church, but it is kind of about church, as you'll see, is a very good illustration layout uh, that Spencer will walk us through here in just a moment. I want to remind you, if you have any feedback for us, good, bad, or otherwise. Maybe you have some topics you'd like for us to add to that uh, long list, and we can probably uh, push those things up uh, on the list. You can send those things to us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Get a hold of either of us on Facebook, and of course, uh, get a hold of Spencer on on Twitter there uh, and grow his grow his numbers. How has the podcast affected Please. your your Twitter? Has it grown or has it remained the same? Have you lost people? <laughs> uh, it's it, it it's remained okay. about the same. You got uh, you got to pump those numbers I, up, people. So if you're still on Twitter, I need Patrick to win another Super yes. Bowl uh, <laughs> to to get some more followers. So, but the, the number of followers followers I have is positively correlated to the success that Patrick Mahomes has. So um, I need him to yeah. win another Super Bowl. He came close. Came close. I'm sure there'll be more opportunities. He's pretty good. He's quite I would good. imagine. All right. You, uh, was this, I don't, I don't know if this was for school or it probably was, but for school or just for your own enjoyment. But you read a book recently uh, called Managing Transition. Uh, by William Bridges. It's a business book. Sounds fun. I'm glad you read it, not me. However, uh, however, the stuff that you found inside of it, uh, even though it wasn't a church-oriented book, uh, being a minister, and we tend to think, uh, we th- tend to think of things 
theologically or in context of sermons, Bible classes and illustrations, things like that. Uh, you saw an incredible amount of connection with his organizational lifestyle or life cycle uh, chart and kind of how that plays out in the life of churches here. Uh, and today we want to spend a uh, our, our time talking about really part one of this, laying out that organizational life cycle and then talking about it in context of the church itself. And then our next episode will deal with really applying all of those things. And we give you opportunity in between those two lessons to, to think about what we talk about today uh, in regard to church and church growth and how it functions and all of that uh, until the next one where we'll deal with, okay, how do we how do we reclaim some of these things? Uh, Spencer, do you want to talk about uh, the book a little bit, maybe how you got into it, and then take us through this this life cycle? Yeah, so it, it was, I did have to read it for a class in mm. school. I don't get to read anything for personal enjoyment uh, right now. Everything's for school or for lessons and prep for Fair church enough. stuff, but uh, the class that I was in was a kind of managing conflict class, a ministry-based class, and this was one of the, the books that I was required to read and review, uh, is this book on managing transitions, which is a, a bestseller uh, written for business organizations, is really his focus. It doesn't address churches at all. It's really solely for business organizations, but the points that he makes in there about how to to manage a time of transition from one thing to another is helpful for any organization of people, whether it be a business, which is Bridges' primary, primary audience, or uh, even a recreational group, a church, any group of people, because we're going to have change, we're going to have mm-hmm. transition. And if we want the result of that transition to be successful— and the result to be what we wanted it to be by making that change, we've got to manage that transition well. And so that's kind of what his book puts forward. Uh, I will admit, though, while the book is helpful, uh, it's not the most enjoyable read (laughs) I've ever had. I think primarily because I don't work in the business sphere, and so there's a lot of things about business organization that it's just like... I don't care anything about because I don't do that. I'm sure for like a CEO, it would be a lot more interesting because that's the world you live and work in. Sure. Not mine. Uh, But when I got to the chapter on this organizational lifestyle, uh, life cycle, it just light bulbs went off because I was like, this applies to the church. This description is the life cycle of churches. And I just fell in love with, it took me six chapters to finally get here. (laughs) But when I did get to this chapter, it was just light bulb off. I remember when I got to this chapter, because it was late at night, I was about ready to go to bed. uh, But I was like, I'm just, I'm going to read one more chapter. And uh, it just woke me up, engaged me. It was, it was great. Um, Because it, it does relate to the idea of a dying church that you mentioned earlier, because it's no secret to anyone, I'm assuming, that Christianity in general, churches in particular, are in decline. 
and have been for some time. And there are numerous causes, factors, uh, environmental things that have led to this decline. And so what we're going to try to do in this episode is not to exhaust a discussion of the decline of Christianity, not to be exhaustive of why is the church declining? Why are we struggling to get new members? Why are we losing our current members? Because we could spend the rest of our lives answering those questions, examining all the different factors. And so that's too much for us to do here in two episodes. And so exhausting this issue is not the goal, but our goal is going to be to look at this model of organizational life that Bridges presents and see how that can shed some light on just some of the problems at that exist in individual church congregations that are contributing to this decline, this dying of Christianity and churches. So just kind of how his model can begin to give us some insight into some of the things that may be going on. So this is just going to be one little uh, sliver, one little uh, angle to kind of look at this bigger problem that's taking the place within churches. And so in this model, uh, Bridges identifies seven stages of organizational life. And the first uh, five of those stages are not considered bad or good. They just are. Uh, the first five are merely a part of the natural progress of an organization of people. Any group of people, Bridges says, is naturally going to go through the first five stages, whether it be a business or a church, a social group, uh, whatever it may be, is naturally going to go through the first five stages. So they're neither good nor bad. It's the same kind of principle of when we think of the life cycle of a human being. We wouldn't say that inf infancy, adolescence, or adulthood are either bad or good stages of life. They just are. They're the natural stages that every human being is going to go through. They're going to go through infancy. They're going to go through adolescence. They're going to go through adulthood. And it's just the way that things are. For Bridges, though, it, it's movement into the final two stages of his model that he believes is troublesome for any group of people. And so that's important to, to keep in mind, not to think of, well, it's bad that we as a church are in this stage or in that stage. No, if you're in the first five, it's just part of your natural life. The problem comes when we find ourselves in the sixth or the seventh stage, particularly the seventh, because the seventh is dying. That's where our kind of key term comes in. Death is not a good thing. That's not what we want for our churches. That's not what any group of people wants is to die. Uh, so his lifestyle, his life cycles kind of help to think about what can lead to death and how to prevent hmm. that death. Well, all right. Very good. Uh, so keep in mind, last two, death is an easy one to remember. It's that step right before that is that here is the step that leads to that death. Uh, but these first five will just uh, go through and lay out as if you are a part of church or any organization for that matter, uh, you're going to go through these things. Number one here uh, being dreaming the dream. Spencer, tell us about uh, that a little bit. Yeah, so Bridges says that any 
again, remember, he's focusing on businesses. So he says that any business begins with dreaming the dream, that the, the organization begins with an idea in the mind of the founder or the founders of that organization, right? We can think of any big company today. We think of Amazon, Apple, Walmart, Tesla. They all began with an idea in the mind of the person that founded that business. They had some idea and they decided, you know, this is a good idea and I want to do something with it. And the church as a group of people is no different. The identity of the church began as a plan in the mind of God. Uh, The Father's plan, God the Father's plan of salvation for the world through the Son, as he promised all the way back to Abraham, in creating a multi-ethnic community of believers, that is the church, that's empowered by the Spirit. That was God's plan ever since the beginning of time. And we see Paul say this very thing throughout his letters. In Colossians 1 and verse 26, he says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Paul is saying God has had a plan, this mystery of salvation, this mystery of the church as this multi-ethnic community of believers, has been a plan of God that was hidden for ages. God didn't reveal his plan to anyone. But we've now seen this plan in action through the Son. Jesus was always God's plan since the beginning of time to provide salvation and to create the church. Paul says this also in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. He says, To me, though, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It seems to me that the mystery that Paul's talking here, particularly in Ephesians, is the the mystery of the Gentiles' inclusion in the people of God. In other words, it's the mystery of the creation of the church as a multi-ethnic community of saved people. And Paul says this plan of salvation and the creation of the church was a mystery that was hidden for ages and has now been revealed to us in Jesus. So the existence of the church begins with God's plan, God's plan from the very beginning of time to create the church. That's where it all begins. And then for Bridges, once from a business perspective, once the the founder for the church, the founder's God, the founder's Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but for a, an organization, that the founder dreams the dream, and then he does step two. Bridges says he is launching the venture. This, from a business perspective, is the business, the product, the service is now out there. It's been created. Uh, people can purchase it. And if people latch on to the business it will begin to grow very, very rapidly. Again, you think of some of the big companies that I just named, Apple, Amazon, Tesla, companies like that. You have this dream, you begin the company, and these products take off. The consumer latches onto them, and these companies grow at exponentially large rates. 
But at this stage, there's no organizational structure yet. If you think of a business, there's no structure of managers and CEOs and uh, things like that. Everyone's just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. The business has just started. It's taking off. People like the product. And so you're just moving at this fast pace, trying to keep up with the demand and the growth of the business. And we see this kind of stage in the early church. So you have God who has this plan since the beginning of time. And this step two of kind of launching the venture is what happens when Jesus comes to earth, right? Jesus comes to earth. He dies. He's raised. Acts chapter two, the church begins built upon the foundation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's here. The church has finally come and the church takes off. People latch on. All you have to do is read through the book of Acts and you see thousands and thousands of people becoming Christians. The church is growing at a faster rate than it has ever grown uh, in the book of Acts. It just takes off. And at this point, like with the business, there's not much structure to it early on. In the very early stages of the church, it's being led by the apostles, but you yet have much structure outside of them. You haven't really developed elders and deacons. You don't have uh, really ministers yet outside of the apostles. So there's not much structure to it yet, but the church very early on is growing very, very fast. And this leads to the third stage for bridges of getting organized. So when you think of a business, it begins, it's growing very fast, it's being supported pretty much by the mind and the efforts of whoever began it, but eventually the business is going to grow large enough to where there needs to be some kind of organization, some kind of structure to maintain the size of the business and the demand of whatever product or service they're offering. And so you have to begin to create specialized roles. You are CEO, you are manager, you are IT, you are this or that or whatever to take care of all these different areas that now exist because it's grown so large. And again, you see that in the church. So the church begins It grows very fast. It's being supported pretty much by the leadership of the apostles. But there eventually comes a point where the church grows so large, it's expanded so far outside of Jerusalem where the church began that now you need some more organization in order for the church to survive. We might think of what may be the first example of deacons that the apostles appoint Why? Because there's so much work to do, they can't do everything. That that was their answer of, we need to be preaching and teaching the gospel, but there are these needs, particularly with widows within the church. Someone needs to do that. We can't because we have this other responsibility. So now we need people specifically tasked to complete this work. And so that's where you begin to see the development of elders and deacons to fulfill these specific needs within the growing church, within all these different congregations all throughout the world. That's where you begin to see the rise of ministers outside of the apostles. 
And maybe the, the best example of this is what we see in the pastoral epistles, that is First and Second Timothy and Titus, which were written at the very end of Paul's life, at the end of the first century. That's when we first see qualifications for elders and deacons, because at that point, the church had now grown where they needed that organizational structure. You had elders and deacons in place. Paul's speaking of what their qualifications needed to be. We also, in those letters, see ministers outside of the apostles in Timothy and Titus, whom those letters are addressed to. And so we see this organizational structure begin to develop that helps the church as it continues to grow, to survive, and to thrive. That moves to step four in his lifestyle, in his life cycle, which he just calls making it. This is what Bridges says is the adulthood of the organization as it continues to grow and simply doing what it does. And we see that in the first few centuries of the church. The, the church begins in the mind of God. It's established through Jesus and the apostles. It becomes organized into these churches in different locations. You get elders, you get deacons, you get ministers and teachers outside of just the apostles. And then for the first few centuries, it just kind of makes it. The church just continues with this organization. It continues doing what it does. It continues growing. It just continues being the church, kind of the central stage of the life cycle of any kind of organization. But eventually, an organization will become an institution, which is Bridges' fifth step. And this is what he says about becoming an institution as it relates to kind of a business model. He says that at this stage, the emphasis moves from doing to being, from the results that the organization achieves to the external impressions that it makes. People talk more and more about how things ought to be done in an organization like this and about what is appropriate to an organization that occupies a place like this one. For most of us, we may th- the an obvious example of Christianity becoming institutionalized, and this is probably a negative example of the institutionalization of the church, but we think of the Catholic Church, right? That's an institution. But that's not really where I want us to go when we think of step five as it relates to the church, because the church finds herself in this stage anytime she begins to ask identifying types of questions, questions like who are we and how should we be viewed by outsiders? We actually begin to see that again in Paul's pastoral epistles at the end of the first century, where Paul has a concern with how the church is viewed by those outside of the church. And again, we remember that the first five stages are not negative. When a church begins, if you think about a church plant, for example, Very early on, it's just about being the church, doing church things, uh, going through the motions, not in a negative sense, but we're out serving, we're, we're doing, we're teaching, we're growing. But eventually there comes a time where it's going to sit back and start to ask ourselves, well, who are we? Those kind of being questions. How do we identify who we are? How do we want to be viewed by people outside of our specific congregation. 
how do people view us? How do we want to be viewed? It, it's those kinds of questions that will eventually crop up in any group. And this kind of naturally leads to Bridges Stage 6, which, as we mentioned from the outset, it's Stage 6 and Stage 7 that are the ones Bridges views negatively as stages that are problematic. And so when a organization becomes an institution, simply by institution we mean asking these identifying types of questions like who are we, it can naturally lead to the sixth stage that he calls closing in, which he defines from a business perspective as when employees forget the customers and focus on internal matters in a way that can seem almost perverse. They argue about rules and status while the whole operation is slowly collapsing. They're more focused on what's going on internally, uh, the, the rules, the regulations they have, the status that they have in the world, how people look at them, and they forget about the customer that the business was designed to help. Uh, and so they lose sight of the environment that they're in, which is the environment of the world, the environment of the customer, which they are producing the product or service for. And it all becomes focused on internal matters. And this, I would argue, is the current stage that the church, particularly the church in America, has found herself. We fight amongst ourselves. We have become overly concerned internally with getting everything right. We have to do everything right internally. We have lost touch, I believe, with the postmodern world that we live in, how we engage, how we preach and speak to, how we serve the postmodern world that we're in. Uh, we care more about going through the motions of church than actually reaching the world, losing sight of our environment, losing sight of the world that we as the church are supposed to be reaching. And this stage six leads to the seventh and final stage that we said is dying. Bridges says when you close in, when your focus stops being on the environment that you have found yourselves in, then the organization is going to die. In regards to the church, when we become focused internally at the exclusion of external focus of our environment, of our world, of people outside the church, according to Bridges, and I would agree with him, that is naturally going to lead one day to the death of the organization, or in this case, the death of the church. So there you go. That's the that's the the cycle. All seven steps. The first five uh, we like. The first five are well. I was going to say they're good, uh, but they're they're natural. The first five are natural, uh, and then you come to this this point of everything being about. Uh, this is how we've always done certain things or 
this is what is is not allowed and stuff like that that's not to say that there shouldn't be rules or anything like that but everything begins to as you said close in look look at what's happening in this place and meanwhile you've got people outside going well if this group's not interested in me i'll go find some other group that is interested in me and so then we have naturally loss of life uh, within a church or people leaving uh, from that church group and the church shrinks and then dies as opposed to bringing uh, new life uh, into it here uh, we've actually well I, I was just gonna say well, I, I like what you said about the not that rules are necessarily bad and we'll, we'll talk about this more in the next episode when we start kind of applying this uh life cycle that we talked about but the the idea of closing in is you mentioned it it's we we see it one of the main ways is well we just keep doing things like they've always been done and we're averse to any kind of change to anything uh the rules aspect of that is very much we need to think about how often we can be like the the pharisees that it's turning to not what scripture tells us that we are or are not to do, but a lot it's the closing in is when we start focusing more on the rules that we have created than on what God has given to us, which is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees created all these rules to explain how to follow God's commandments. They were trying to do a good right. thing, but Jesus comes along and says, you're more focused on the rules you have created than on the intention of what God has given you. And that's where the kind of rules focus starts being us closing in when we care more about how we are going to define and create rules and expectations about how to follow what God has told us. And we forget the purpose of what God has told us. And it's not, what's interesting with the Pharisees is that Jesus never tells them not to follow the rules that they have created. We, we think of Jesus tells them, you tithe all your different spices, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. He doesn't tell them to stop tithing the spices. That's fine. But Jesus says, you've done that and you forgot the purpose of who you are as the people of God. And that's the problem of closing in, is we forget the purpose. We forget who we are. We forget where we began and we start arguing we start fighting uh, we start focusing more on things that we have created traditions we have created uh, and forget who we are it's not that any of those things are necessarily bad they might be we might have traditions sure. that are just terrible that we need to get rid of but we very well may have others that are perfectly great perfectly fine for us to continue to do but we care more about those traditions than we do about what God has actually told us and who we actually are, which is an important distinction. The, that you uh, the other side of that as well. And I say this as um, I say this as a minister who studies culture and sees what are the people around us doing, interested in, what do they respond to, resonate with, you know, etc. Not new ideas don't necessarily equal good ideas either. You know, there's a tendency sometimes to say, 
Uh, this group is just so stuck on doing what it's always done. They refuse to hear any new ideas. Refusal to hear is, is one thing, and that's a problem. But refusal to adopt new ideas is not always a bad thing. <laughs> sometimes what we've been doing mm. is good. And sometimes that new thing that we, quote unquote, should, we've got to do this thing. Maybe that's not the case, but both of those come down to the uh, the the Pharisaism or the case I just brought up. Acts seventeen is a good place to go. Paul approaches them in Athens, and uh, the text says they love to spend their time just trading in new ideas, just constantly jumping to the newest thing presented. That's what they went with. Both of those things are extremes and run the risk of losing those identifying questions. Of, of number five. Who are we? What's the purpose? What are we doing? How are we viewed by outsiders? Either of those extremes can pull us away and get us to close in in, in sort of a weird way. Both of them cause us to close in in a, in a very uh, damaging way that lead us to death. It's, it's interesting. The church has actually gone through this historically. Uh, we can point to a time frame where uh, the Churches of Christ did this. It's quite interesting. So what we're going to do, because part two is application, what we're going to do with the rest of this is, is a bit of a history lesson, I suppose. Uh, we want to talk a little bit about Reformation, but mostly about the Restoration Movement uh, through these, uh, not really the seven steps, but getting us to number six here. Uh, Spencer, walk us back through this this life cycle uh, with the well, it introduces us a little bit to the Restoration Movement, and then uh, let's walk us uh, through that history a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, w w one question that you would have, so if an organization naturally moves through the first five stages, and stage six and seven we don't want to be in, where do you go when you arrive at stage five? What, what What's mm -hmm. the solution? And uh, Bridges' suggestion uh, is that the only way for an organization to keep from closing in and dying is to make a concerted effort to move from an institution back to stage one. And he says once you become an institution and you begin to start closing in, you have to go back to stage one. And he says you redream the dream, you recapture the venture spirit, you get reorganized, and you move through the life cycle Again, and that's how you prevent death from happening within an organization. And as you said, throughout history, we actually see examples, not just of the church going through all of these stages and ending, unfortunately, in stage seven and dying, which is what we see happening today yes. in the decline of Christianity in general and the literal death of congregations. I mean, I, I think we, something like 500 uh, churches of Christ, I believe, uh, every year close their doors, literally dying. Um, and so how do you prevent that? And I, Bridges would say in this model, which again, I want to emphasize is just one way of thinking about this problem, not the only way, not the exclusive sure, way, sure. and not the solve-all way, just one way. Go back to the idea of redreaming the dream. And we see examples of those throughout church history, we think of the Protestant Reformation, led by guys like Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, uh, who 
saw the problems in the Catholic Church and redreamed a dream of uh, what it means to be the church and recaptured that spirit, began to to grow and grow and grow, uh, organization change. I mean, we, we see that there. Uh, but we want to. I, I want to focus in on how we see that in the American Restoration Movement, uh, the American Restoration Movement, uh, which is the heritage of those of us in Churches of Christ, and uh, because I think if we think about what happened there, we can better understand as Churches of Christ where we are now, and then leading into next week, be able to maybe apply some things to help us revitalize ourselves to keep from closing in and dying in the words of bridges. So in the American restoration movement, we, we see the return to stage one and redreaming the dream. The leaders of the restoration movement, the two primary ones being Alexander Campbell and Barton W. Stone, what they did was they looked out at the world of Christianity in their day and saw how divided it was. Christianity was divided between all these different groups. And so they, and that was a result of closing in. These different groups had kind of closed in, become self-focused, and you see the fracturing of Christianity. And what Campbell and Stone desired to do is to unify Christians, to unify the church. And so that was their dream. Their dream was a dream of unity, of unifying the church once again by going back to the Bible and striving to be like the first century church. They, they dreamed again that the church would be unified like we see in the pages of the New Testament, in other words. That was their dream. And they put that dream into action, moving to that step two and recaptured the venture spirit in the words of Bridges. Because once uh, the leaders, uh, such as Campbell and Stone, began their effort, uh, began implementing this dream, it took fire. I mean, it just went crazy. And the movement quickly uh, became the fastest growing movement in the United States. For a great deal of time, Churches of Christ were the fastest growing fastest growing Christian group in the United States. It just took off when they began to put this dream into action. Eventually, you have uh, the third stage of getting reorganized. The, the This movement, when it takes fire, eventually produces its own individual congregations in different towns, we, it eventually gives itself the name Church of Christ, and that's where you get individual Church of Christ congregations with elders and deacons and preachers all throughout the United States, that idea of getting organized, uh, which, moved the, which moved Churches of Christ into stage four of making it. Like I said, for a great deal of time, the, the Church of Christ continued uh, to grow, and for a while was, like I said, the fastest growing religious organization in the United States. And even when it wasn't the fastest growing for a long, long time, and there may be some people listening who remember a time 
when Churches of Christ were just growing and growing and growing and attracting more and more and more people. And that's kind of that fourth making it stage, which eventually moved the the church uh, churches of Christ somewhere in there to that fifth stage of becoming an institution, uh, which I would identify as when we began to identify ourselves with tags such as, well, we're Christians only, we're people that follow the Bible only, right? Asking those questions of who are we, how do we want to be viewed as outsiders, what do we want churches of Christ to look like in the greater milieu of different uh, Christian groups? Who, who are we? And we began to answer with those kinds of questions. Well, we're only Christians. We only follow the Bible. We strive to be like the first century church. That, that's kind of that institutional stage. And I, again, I, we're using Bridges terms. I know for some of us that word institution might leave a bad taste in our mouths, but we're not using it negatively like the Catholic Church, like I said earlier. We're using it just in terms of asking those identifying questions of how are we going to identify ourselves to people outside of our organization? How are we going to identify ourselves to people outside of the Church of Christ? Well, we, we, we do with these kind of tags of just briefly identifying this is who we are, this is what we stand for, this is what we do. But eventually, that led to the closing in that we talked about. Uh, becoming primarily focused with the way that we have always done things, the way that we did things when we were growing that uh, unfortunately don't seem to be working anymore, but we're going to keep doing them because that's our focus, our focus on the rules and regulations that we have created, Uh, those kinds of internal focus, focus on fighting amongst ourselves over, uh, we've been, I've been teaching on uh, some conflict management stuff uh, and finishing up teaching Romans here at Tuttle. And some examples that I gave of, you know, church splits over things like kitchens and carpet color and things of that nature. That's an example of closing in, becoming focused, forgetting who we are and focusing on rules and stuff that we're creating for ourselves kind of like the Pharisees did, which results in what? The fracturing of a movement that began as a unity movement uh, the and the ultimate dying that we see going on of Christianity in general, of Church of Christ congregations in particular. And that's kind of the place that we found ourselves in now, is this closing in, this dying which, in the words of Bridges, and I think he's right, means that we need to return to sta- stage one. We need, a, we need to redream the dream, like we saw by the leaders of the Restoration Movement, like leaders of the Protestant Reformation. We, it's been done historically. The dream has been redreamed. The spirit of the original and the growth that we see exampled in the book of Acts has been found by redreaming that dream. And I think that's where we need to return to as the church. And so hopefully, maybe next week we can identify some of the results of closing in and how we mediate those in some ways that we can begin redreaming the dream to hopefully, rather than moving through stage six into stage seven of dying, that we can return back to stage one 
and begin uh, some kind of revival of Christianity and of uh, the church once again. There are definitely those congregations that have hit step seven, uh, as Spencer mentioned. I think your number is about right, but uh, uh, Pew Research and Barna are uh, a couple organizations that do great um, church study uh, statistics sorts uh, of things. But there have been a lot of uh, churches that have undergone uh, death, no longer exist, stores have been closed, uh, nobody there anymore. Um, some are in stage five and are going back to stage one again. Uh, we don't want to paint it as if none are doing that, uh, but the majority, I have to agree, are, are likely in that step six of uh, closing in and are at the crossroads of do we go back or do we just keep pressing forward uh, where we're at? Um, we want to hear from you. Uh, you. You very well may be a congregation that's like, well, we're redreaming the dream. We're doing this here. That's great. Uh, we're, not, we're not doing this uh, two-part series here to go. Uh, the church is dying, and uh, we're, we're not dancing on the church's grave. We hate that. We hate every bit of that uh, and want to see the church grow and thrive as it uh, as it has so many other times throughout history. Uh, so uh, if if you're in a place that is in uh, step five or six, uh, we want to ask you the question uh, as we anticipate the next episode, uh, how do we redream the dream? Uh, be thinking about that. Reach out to us uh, on Facebook. You can email us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear uh, what you think about that. Might even make it to the show. Uh, who knows? Uh, you can also send it to, to Spencer on Twitter, but I have a feeling that uh, redreaming the dream is going to require more characters uh, than the limit that Twitter gives you. How many characters do you get on Twitter now? I don't know. I quit Twitter a long time ago. <laughs> I couldn't handle the I couldn't handle the fracturing. It was too much, so I left. Still on Facebook though, for whatever reason. Uh, but you can reach us at all those places. We'd love to hear from you. How how do we redream the dream? What do you think we do? Uh, as churches to to start again, uh, redreaming that dream and growing and becoming uh, the kingdom that, that God desires for us to be the image bearers. He desires for us to be here. We'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'll be back soon with part two of this episode. I'm Jack, and that's Spencer. We'll see you then.